Hi, I'm Charisma O'Keefe. And I'm Angelica Yard. And we're the heart behind the Heart and Hustle podcast. Every Wednesday, we share a new episode with our listeners on topics that range from business and creativity to leadership and innovation. We also interview some of the best and brightest in the industry and spread our love of entrepreneurship all over the internet with our hashtag, BossSoHard. We're on a mission to help you find balance in your life, creativity in your career, and dollars in your bank account. So sit back, relax, and take notes while we show you how to dream big, work hard, and repeat. Welcome back to another episode of Heart and Hustle. Um, I feel like every week we come back, we're like, everything is horrible. <laughs> but it, it still is. It literally um, is. Sorry. Yeah, I don't... I don't know when it's going to get better. Uh, I know. I feel like that campaign promised us that it gets better, and it it's not right now. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to say, like, everything has to do with Trump being the president, but I will say that when you're going through a tragedy and you have a president that comes on and makes you feel better about things, like, it's, it doesn't change what happened. It doesn't you know, make people that have been killed be undead. Right. But it makes you feel as if there's someone... You understand the leadership is trying to... To make things better. And so I think that, you know, with everything that happened with, like, the Vegas shooting and everything that's happened with uh, the hurricanes in Puerto Rico, it's like the responses have just made it that much worse. Um, Whereas in the past, like, to tragedies, you know, I specifically remember... Everything, like, one of the speeches I remember the most was, like, with everything that happened with Trayvon Martin and how Barack Obama, like, handled that and came on and spoke to us after something like that. Um, And that was, like, you know, hit home close to me because I have two black brothers who are, who at the time were about his age and we live, like, 30 minutes away. Exactly. Um, So, you know, being able to have leadership that you can depend on to just kind of be there and tell you, like, hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to work together. We're going to get through this. Um, that just means more than I really realized at the time. And now in this world that we live in, um, it's just kind of, you realize like how great that was. And I I don't think that it's something that I should be like, as an American, I don't think it's something that should be like, oh, wow, like our president spoke to us nicely. I should be so thankful. Like, no, I think that should be the standard. Right. But unfortunately, like that's what, that's where we're at. Yeah. I think people were very much like, um. For the press secretary to, to talk about the situations that did, like, the, the people who did lose their lives being heroes. And she kind of gave some names and stuff. And everybody was like, that was so amazing and so great. And I'm like, that's what a press secretary is supposed to do. Yeah. Like, that's what the, mm-hmm. you know, administration supposed to do every time there's a tragedy. Every yes. single time, you know, yes. they're supposed to highlight the, the things that are happening and make sure that people understand that they were heroes and people aren't just terrible people and they're not just all terrible people out in the world. And it's really hard to think that way right now because of the way the world is, but there are good people in the world. And I'm still so um, incredibly sad for what happened in Las Vegas, getting up first thing in the morning. And that's mm-hmm. all that you see is very disheartening. And also all the, the people who are taking advantage of it and trying to like pitch their businesses. Buzzfeed did a really good article and I'll link to it about um, this journalist just was up in the morning and just started pulling out all these fakes. Cause people were like, Oh, my uncle's missing. And then would like tweet, like promo my book or something like weird stuff like that. Like people were oh tweeting pictures gosh. of little Terrio saying that, Oh, my son is missing. And it was, cra- oh, it's crazy. But that happens because people see disaster as a way to take advantage and yeah. like do those things. So yeah, I'm definitely going to post a link to that. Um, so it's very hard to to pay. So for me, I just kind of like was like, okay, so this is where we are right now in the media. So I can't 
pay attention because there's no facts. Um, yeah. And, and yesterday mean, we went was all a very similar right. situation. Like it's, it seems very similar to like what we went yeah, through, through here in Orlando. Orlando. And also, like, I mean, there was a lot of waiting that first yeah. day to find and out. And the media just didn't. Yesterday was just a hot mess in terms of media reporting stuff with, you know, Tom Petty and like all of that stuff happening and then, you know, saying that he was dead and he hadn't officially died yet. He was still, you know, it was crazy. Like it was just like, so I very much was away from media yesterday and actually got some stuff done, which was nice to turn it off because sometimes you just realize that people don't know WTF what they're doing like they don't know yeah. um so it's just move on and, and kind of I, I want to shout out our wedding industry because right now they're having a huge conference that they have every year um in Vegas and so we had a lot of like locals like my wedding photographer right. that was there like with all her friends like she's giving a presentation and um we're gonna have her later on the podcast I think in like January or February and, and I mean just like literally like a lot of our local wedding people here in Orlando a lot of them were there and some of them even thought about going to that concert right um and so there, it was sold out and luckily they weren't able to go or else they would have been there so um it was kind of like for a lot of people that went through Pulse here and were, you know, doing that whole, that morning when we woke up and we all kind of had to like, okay, who is the type of, like, who would be there? Like, who right. are my friends that frequent that area, you know, and checking in and everything. A lot of people had to do that again, who had literally just been through it a yeah, year Yeah, it's ago. only been 16 months um, in case exactly. you were wondering. It's not so, been that long since yeah, Pulse happened. Yeah, because I saw somebody post on Twitter and they were like, oh, it's so crazy that this is happening and like, this was not like a local. And they were like, and just a few years ago, it was happening in Orlando. I was like, a few years ago, this yeah. just happened. Right. It's not so, been a few luckily, years, luckily, all of our, you know, local wedding vendors are okay. They're all accounted for. Um, they're still doing, you know, the conference. They're in like a, a, a hotel that's safe. They were able to get to a hotel. Um, being vendors, they were really smart and they used the vendor exit and entrance right um even though they weren't there like working in that capacity right. they're there for a conference but they they knew like because it was just like they were out and about when it happened and right. it was just chaos and pandemonium so they had to run it's just easier then, to get safe if yeah you're in they the area ran into then... the vendor like uh like elevators because those like the main elevators packed the vendor right. elevators no one was on them so they went up those and they were able to go up and they're like on the 23rd floor or something so they were like safe up there and you know so that's that's like the good part but obviously you know just because i'm lucky and i didn't lose anyone directly obviously 50 plus people did so and this is just something that continues to happen i don't i personally don't think it will stop until we have better gun control and i always think that it's the proper time to talk about gun control because i don't want people to die it's not a political thing it's about people being alive yeah so just a safety precaution just in general so yeah so to talk about something happy, because every week we're like, everything's unhappy. And I feel like, of course, we get into happiness when we get into our interviews. But when it's you and I, we're just like, womp, well, womp. to recap, womp. <laughs> yeah, like it's not good. Um, so we're going to share three things that we're just feeling happy about and finding joy in, because um, it's important to, to find joy even in difficult times. So my first one, this is going to be a surprise for y'all. It's the weather. <laughs> like, no one's surprised. No one is surprised. No, they surprised. are because all I normally do is complain Yeah, about so it. they probably know it's, like, getting yeah. better, and they're like, no one's surprised that you would be very people, excited that, that it feels good. I don't know that other people outside, though, know. Like, so I'm like, I need them to be informed <laughs> that the weather in Florida, well, I don't want to say Florida, I'll say Central Florida specifically, is beautiful right now. I, like, just, like, I've walked twice already this morning. Um, it's just, it's, it's lovely. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how long it's going to last. It could be gone like tomorrow. So I'm just, it's been like what, two days? 
It's all week. It's going to be all week. Is it going to be all yeah. week? Okay. I never trust the news, though, so I'm just, like, living each yeah. day as if, like, Well, obviously, as we talked about, we don't know the news doesn't know what's Yeah, doing, exactly. So. so, but, yeah, it's beautiful out. Like, you're wearing a scarf right now. You're wearing, like, a like, spring excited. type of scarf because you can't wear, like, real scarves scarf. here. Um, scarf yeah, so life is back in session. Yeah. We're both wearing, like, longish sleeves. Oh, I do that all the time, light. though. I know we do, too, but <laughs> it's, like, normally we're sweaty, and now we're not. <laughs> it's so great. So it's the little things that, like, I'm wearing the black and gray that I always wear but I'm just not sweating and that's that's special for me <laughs> god bless it's like um I think uh Jackie has a shirt out that's like I was I'm so black I was I'm so goth I was born black and mm-hmm. I needed so bad in my life um yeah so um things that I'm happy about I'm glad that it's October I know it started out really sucky in general in terms of news but I am happy it's October. October is my jam. I'm very yes. excited to not be in September. Like the moment, like Sunday, it was just like a new day. It was like, oh, yes. it's a new day. I'm out of September. It's, it was cooler mm-hmm. immediately. So it was really nice. Um, it was like a drought. Like, I don't think people understand. Like for us, it was drastic, y'all. Like September, like the last day of September was like hot and sweaty yeah. and gross. And oh my the gosh. first day of October was like beautiful. It yeah. was just kind the of like day very of, drastic. Last day of September, I was in a pool. Like that's how warm it was. Like it was hot and I was still sweaty and it was ridiculous. Um, but I'm very excited it's October because October is just new creative time for me and I'm very excited about it so all right so the second thing that I'm excited for um has to do with business and it's that I started like working with a new contractor this week and it went really 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 well um so I'm not sure if like you know I'm gonna take her on like full-time but I definitely like I've been moving towards like working with other contractors working with other people being able to take on more work if I do that um, because I can't do everything by myself and also so I can do other projects and creative things I want to do. So it was kind of like, you know, I asked her two weeks ago, like, do you think you'd be interested in working together? And, you know, she was like, yes. And I was like, awesome. And then we worked on our first project together and it just, it went be- like way better than I even could have expected. Um, so I'm really excited about that and I'm hoping that, you know, this deal is sealed and that we just continue working together and, my business can keep growing because Make of it. Magic so exactly. sparkly magic, like pew, 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 exactly, pew. exactly. So, and it's, it's, I think it's always like, you know, you might think that you'll work well with someone and then you actually start working together and it's like, nah, like this isn't a good fit. So I was very like, even though I like her, I was very skeptical and I like her and her work, but I was skeptical going into it. Yeah. Well, you are um, skeptical because you don't know people. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's different to know someone like as a friend and, or like as a fellow creative and then to know them like, working on a project with them. So, yeah, so that went really well, so I'm excited about that. That's going to make next year, like, I'm kind of, you know what I mean? Like, that's right. like one of the things that I'm setting up for next year. Which is exciting. Yeah. Um, I feel like I didn't think of three things because I just got told to think of three things when I got here, and I'm like, things that make me happy. It's October. Um, I mean, like, most things make me happy. I don't have anything super specific that I can think of right now. Um, like fall in New York, I'm excited about. I guess that makes me happy because what I dates will you be up there? officially have never seen. Like, I mean, Atlanta has fall. Let me not lie. Let me not lie. North North Georgia has fall. I've been in North Georgia when the leaves changed, but it's different of the radiance of colors. The yes. further north you go, mm-hmm. the more vibrant the colors are. And for someone who likes those types of changes, and I grew up, and that's kind of how I. Determine seasons. Obviously, I think most people do as kids who live where there are seasons. Um, you know, you, you get that. And I haven't had that in a long time because here you just, things oh, just die. It's gross. And then it's gross and it just looks sad. Um, so uh, going up and being there, we're going to do some stuff upstate while we're up there. So Yay. I'm very excited. And I actually went to like this site that lets you know like peak 
leave changing time and I'm yes. like in peak leave changing time what, the time we're going to so be up there. So what dates are you going to be there? So we're so... going to be there um, the 15th, I think it's 15th or 16th, the, to of, the 23rd of October. October. Yeah. Okay. So it's like oh, Man. that whole week. I was so hoping very we were going to be there at the same time, but we're not. No. Yeah. So I'm very super, super excited. Peak fall time. One of these days we're going to be there at the same time though and it's going to be. Probably. Cause it's going to be awesome. Doing a lot of trips to New York. And it'll probably be when I move up out of here, which is hopefully <laughs> soon. Um, so all right so my third thing is that my brother is here next week and my future brother-in-law matt so i'm super excited about that um they're coming for a week we're gonna do like disney and universal and just like hang out and like turn my apartment into like a chill fest and probably like eat chips and when you say chill fest i immediately think it's like glamping where you guys have an obnoxious amount of like satin tints and like well, we and probably, like face masks we'll, yeah and it'll obnoxious. kind of be like that actually we, like, i think it's no, like glamping yeah. it is glamping because like <laughs> they normally travel with an entire like carry-on like rolling suitcase full of product um so god bless them <laughs> yeah so we end up doing like a lot of like just like at home facials and like stuff like that's that. literally it's like matt and ben's glamping adventure yeah it's really <laughs> really really fun it so is. it's like we'll probably like go to like we're gonna go to parks early because you know all the halloween events are right. going on at night um so we're gonna go to parks early and then you know they'll be done at like seven so we'll come home at seven and like do face masks and just like you know hang out and just like have a good time so it'll kind of be like a good mix of like going out and like doing things and then being at home and doing nothing which are both things that we very much enjoy um so i'm excited about that and then next month we'll do that up there so minus the theme parks i also i'm really loving all of everyone's inktober um stuff that's happening Uh, and i really thought about doing october this year and i think i'm just like not even in a place to to think about it i might just do some stuff at home and keep to myself because everybody i know is really inspiring i'm like oh i want to do i want to do it i'm specifically my friend chris who does video and stuff and he's been doing it and it's super amazing because he's really into comics and everything and his little drawings have given me so much life so uh, i will link to some of my favorite inktober stuff it's only like day three so yeah my good friend and um formal social media client alex ray is doing it and i'm really really excited because Uh, He's local and his work is just really amazing. He does a lot of like murals in like small downtown businesses and breweries and stuff like that. Um, So, uh, and a lot of like he does a lot of like comic books and like a lot of what we see is like his finished art. So I'm excited because, you know, with this, it's just like we get to see how brilliant he can be in 20 minutes. You know, like you can just give him a piece of paper and like 15 minutes later, it's like, oh, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, it's, I love it. It's going to be really awesome seeing what everybody comes up with over the next month. I'm like, can I, somebody make me a tattoo during this Inktober and I'm I will sure do that, it. Yeah, I'm Thanks. sure that they, they will. And also, um, let me um, double check, but I am almost 100% certain. Yes. Yeah, so we have, um, Friday the 13th is coming up, not this Friday, but next Friday. Yeah, and so normally on Friday the 13th, people will do tattoos. Yeah, $13 tattoos. So if you want a tattoo... Okay, I'm going to go browse the Inktober hashtag, pay someone to license their design into a tattoo design so I can figure out what I'm doing do in my it. life and get a tattoo while I'm in New York. Who do knows? Who the tattoo that I knows? want is actually, I want one from um, Bang Bang, New York City, and but it'll be like $300, so... Friday the 13th won't help. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Friday the 13th is It'll be like, and when I say it'll be, it'll be at least 300 because yeah, the minimum is 300. Right, so exactly. it'll probably be more than that. But it'll be so worth it when I finally get it. 
So life goals. Okay. All right. So we hope that y'all enjoy this interview and we hope that your personal October is off to a good start. And if not, we hope that you find some joy in turning around. Awesome. So we're really excited today to have the talented Jacob on our podcast. Jacob is a genderqueer activist, a writer, a producer, a professional speaker, a television personality. They just honestly are doing all the things. So Jacob, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with you and your work already, let us know a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, I um, I am a, a, a jack of all trades, or maybe a Jill of all trades. Um, I think at the moment I'm sort of do, you know doing a lot. Um, and the main thing that I'm focusing on right now is that I, I just sold my first book, so I'm writing on Congrats. that, giving my little heart out. But then, you know, I also just signed with a talent agency, and so I'm like, you know, starting to like go out on auditions more regularly, and starting to like meet with producers and all that other kind of stuff about like creating my own projects and. Um, I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to kind of be a, a multi-hyphenate uh, media conglomerate of a human. Um, and, you know, it, it, it takes a while to build that out. But, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm focusing on a lot of different things right now. Um, the main one being finishing the books. It's, the, it's, the, it's like, you know, the biggest project that in terms of like volume of work that I have to do. Um, but I, I have a few different kind of like pots on the stove or um, maybe eggs that I'm warming. <laughs> Oh, that's super awesome. I mean, writing a book, like um, my husband wrote a book three years ago, I was working on a second book, and I just, watching people write books is crazy. Like, I can't believe humans can do this. It's so much work, but it's so awesome when it's done. So I'm very excited about your book and all the stuff. So I love your writing. You've written for New York Times, Washington Post, Huffington Post, MSNBC, and so many other news outlets. Where does your inspiration come from when you're writing? And do you ever feel vulnerable when sharing so much of your life while you're writing? Um, I mean, I think in terms of when I started writing, like, it wasn't it wasn't so much that I, I had some big strategy of like, oh, I'm gonna, um, you know, I'm gonna like build this giant brand, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't, that wasn't sort of the intention. The first time that I kind of had a, a viral blog post, if you will, um, was actually in, in college and undergrad. And, um, and you know, I had, I had, I like the first time that I really wrote like autobiographical, like queer memoir style work, which is kind of, I think, you know, like my signature at this point, at least mm-hmm. that's what my book is. Um, was in high school, but I was doing it for my uh, AP English teacher, right? And um, it was uh, like even just writing to one person uh, about sort of my experience as a queer person and about sort of like the the way it felt to navigate the world um, was this incredibly healing outlet for me. You know that that taking sort of time to actually honor the experiences that I was having and the sort of uniqueness of them and 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 really detangle the knot of what was going on in my life um, was was this exercise that was both intellectually really gratifying for me but but kind of emotionally and spiritually was really important you know it was kind of like you know I'm I'm like a Leo I'm an extra like a super extrovert and kind of um, love like you know getting someone to like pet my mane you know (laughs) and and so for me it was like having the ability to kind of like take my story and, and put it in words so that other people could see it and understand it and hear it and, and echo it back to me was this thing that I learned very early on kind of in my life, like, you know, like as early as high school, but I didn't start really publishing that work 
for a broader audience um, until I was in college. And we have this, um, I went to Duke for undergrad, and we have this little, uh, this, this like queer blog called Our Lives, and it was run by the LGBT student organization. Um, and, you know, it was especially my freshman and sophomore years when I first started school, it was this like really intense, um, like community space because not everyone on campus felt comfortable being out necessarily and the culture like you know this is like this is like pre uh or like pre-born this way yeah right you know like when i started college like born this way hadn't even come out yeah like it was it was a really different world and being queer felt really different for a lot of people especially you know on a campus like dukes that you know pretty um dominated by like fraternity and sorority culture um and and i think has somewhat of a more traditional feel anyway um, and so this blog was was kind of like the campus forum for queer people. Um, and you know, this was even before like Grindr was super wide used, widely used. You know, so it yeah. was like there was it was like this one of the few outlets people had that we created ourselves. Um, and there were you know every week they would run anonymous posts where people would submit anonymous stories and could just like reflect on what was going on in their lives without having to. Um, necessarily tell everybody that they, you know, who they were, disclose their identity. Um, and I never did anonymous posts because I was like out from the moment I stepped foot on campus. Um, because I just like, you know, I can't stop myself from like spewing glitter. Like, you know, um, <laughs> it's true. And, but, but I wrote, started, you know, the, the, the um, guy who edited the blog, my friend Chris sort of reached out to me and was like, Hey, I, you know, I think you should write something for us. Um, and so I started writing personal essay again, uh, through that blog and, and, you know, wrote this one thing called an ode to mom. And it was all about sort of, um, kind of a big public thank you letter to my mom and how wonderful she was, uh, about like my, me being queer and me being different and coming out and stuff. This was back when I was still sort of like on the fence about my gender, right? It was like, I was like, I'm, I'm gay and, and I'm queer and I'm like gender non-conforming, but I don't like know what that means, what it means to hold that in public yet. So yeah. it's a lot of it was, it was mostly about my coming out as gay story. Um, but I wrote that and it just, it just like flew around campus and, and, and flew around the internet and like, you know, got something which in, in nowadays I'm kind of like, well, that's a de- that's decent, but it wasn't like huge. It got like 200 shares or something on Facebook, which at the time felt like the biggest, craziest reach I had ever had. I mean, it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so many people liking this and reading this and commenting and sharing and whatever. Um, and, I, and then I realized like, oh, actually the way that this thing works, the way that the world works is that the more you process what you're experiencing in public, the more you're helping everybody. Mm-hmm. And the more that you're, that you're kind of like um, helping folks to, to either not feel alone if they are of queer experience or to feel more connected to what queer people are going through if they don't identify, you know? And, and moreover, I realized that like, you know, I can heal myself through writing and that, that it can be a really helpful outlet when, when the world feels like too much, um, or when, you know, what I'm going through in my day-to-day life feels like too much writing can be my saving grace. It can be my, my space where, that I get to own, where I get to reclaim what's happened to me. I get to, um, retool what's happened to me I get to spin the narrative in a way that that prioritizes my self-worth and my um, my human dignity you know in a world that often doesn't give um, people the chance to do that in our day-to-day lives you know so it became this really kind of powerful alchemical process to write about my my queer world and to to re-spin what the world could look like if it 
you know, if it were more affirming and if it did ha have the space to see me as I am. Um, and then it just kind of spirals from there, you know? And, and then I was like always trying to reach for bigger and, and, and better outlets and trying to get my essays placed in bigger and more higher profile places um, because I wanted an increasing audience to be able to understand where I was coming from and to be able to hear my words. Cause I, you know, I also started to realize I, I had a talent for this, you know, that like, I'm actually a really good writer. Um, and, and that it wasn't just me sort of like venting, you know, it was, it was something else. Um, so that was kind of what started the idea of me writing for all these places. And, and, you know, it's continued to this day, but ultimately that's kind of what spiraled into the book uh, deal. And the idea for a book was because I had written for, you know, a bunch of fancy news outlets under the sun in terms of op-eds and all that other kind of stuff. And there's a point where I kind of got tired of writing the kind of like the, you know, 800 to 1200 word, uh, brilliant queer essay, um, you know, over and over again. And I realized I needed more space, you know, I needed, I needed the space to, um, the, to tell the full story. Cause when you're writing a short article for, you know, for an online mag, for an online publication or for a blog or whatever, um, you know, you can, you have to like be really careful about the context of what you're able to talk about, right? Cause you, cause things can be taken out of context so easily. So you can't really cover that much, you know, and you certainly can't be as, as raw or as vulnerable as you always want to be. Um, and I realized I was just like, I need more words, boo. Like, <laughs> I need more space. Um, I need more, I need, I need the ability to really let this whole thing unfurl. Um, and there was also a feeling of like, I think I kind of want to put this, put this to, to rest, like put this to bed, you know, like yeah. I want to be able to write a book where people are like, so tell us about your gender. And I can be like, go read the book. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> wrote the book on it. <laughs> yeah. That's Truth. amazing. Um, I really just love that you are brave enough to just share your story and that I feel I just you've affected so many people and you've helped so many people already and you're like how old are you right now? I'm 26. Yeah. So oh you're my so word. Young. And I mean honestly <laughs> awesome. like you've kind of been doing this now already for like 10 years. Like you're like a veteran at this cuz you started like you said in high school. And um you've really just been, you know, an activist and working at a con and it's you've kind of been figuring it out in front of everyone, you know what I mean, which is incredibly brave. And in addition to writing, like you also do a lot of speeches. You spoke at Harvard and Columbia and Princeton, which is amazing. You've just spoken at so many schools and conferences. Um uh, as, a, as the main speaker and also on panels like all over the country so I want to know like in addition like with you know writing but when you're like on stage and you're like speaking out to all these people and you know that there's probably people in the crowd who are going to be affected um, and really need your words what's that one message that you always want your audience to walk away with well I, I feel like you know the, the most important thing to me when I'm doing like you know public speaking um Number one, I think above everything else is I need to get them to laugh. Um, yeah, yeah, same, same. Like, you know, so often, um, we, you know, we, we. It's easy to get bogged down in all this stuff. You know, it's easy to get bogged down in in the the trauma and the struggle and the hardship. Um, and I think that we live in a in a digital culture, certainly, and in a queer culture. Uh, in large part that really like teaches us habits around like that teaches us that, that that's the only way we can interact with our trauma, right? That, that the way that we interact with, with the bad things that have happened with up to us is that we must look at them and, and, and seriously recount them for the whole world to hear. Um, and 
so as we cry and moat to one another, you know? And for me, that's just not my coping strategy. Um, and, and it's not, it's not how I want to grow with people because I mean, I could, I could go on all day about some of the bullshit that I've, you know, experienced. I could go on for a very long period of time, um, you know, recounting the, the small and major tragedies of my life. Um, but, but if I, I feel like if I'm not like helping people to like laugh and break out of that mode, um, then we're not really there. You know, like for me, it's kind of like I could give a talk that's just super intellectual um, and everyone's brains can be like, yeah, okay, cool. I really get this gender thing differently and okay, great. Um, but then they're, I feel like if they're not laughing, then like their, their like heart and their soul isn't engaged in the work, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I could also give like a big stirring moving speech about all the struggles that I've overcome and how, you know, incredible they are or whatever. But then I feel like, you know, then I feel like I'm sort of breaking into this mold or, or I feel like I'm, I'm sort of put into this mold of, um, of like queer trauma and put into this mold where people are like, Oh yes. Okay. I know, I know this, this is another like queer sob story. Right. Um, and I feel like when you're able to kind of bring all three of those things together, when you're able to bring reflecting on sort of some of your past pain, when you're able to bring, um, a rigorous intellectual analysis and when you're able to like make some killer jokes and really land them, um, you're able to really like, get people firing on all cylinders, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that's so important to me is because gender fires on all cylinders, right? Like, like our, the, our, the way we understand gender, it, it, it lives, it, the way that we're taught how gender works in the world around us, it lives in our brain with sort of a set of rigorous rules that we have. And it lives in our hearts in terms of who we were told that, that we are. And it lives in like our gut, you know, like our belly, kind of our instinct of our, our feeling, not necessarily like our biological instincts, but the way our instincts are cultivated, right? Like it lives in sort of this this really deep sense of fear if we get our gender wrong. It lives in this deep sense of what is right and what makes sense and what feels good and what doesn't. And so I feel like I got to get everybody, like I got to get people going in their brain, I got to get people going in their heart, and I got to get people going in their gut, you know? Right. And that if you access all three of those, that like that's actually what, what breaks people out of um, this cycle of, of like, binary gender thinking this idea that there are only men or women this idea that you must be a good man or a good woman at all times in order to be respected and loved in the world um i think that like that's kind of that feels to me like sort of the the secret sauce you know that feels like the magical um concoction yeah i think the talks that i've gone and listened to that have been the most inspiring have been those that do like you said, fire on all cylinders and kind of activate different parts of my brain versus being one thing. Because when you expect one thing, and I think that's why a lot of people sometimes have problems with listening to TED Talks because a lot of them are kind of the same in that type of intellectual firing at all, you know, the highest intellectual levels. And so a lot of people are like, I don't want to hear that right now. Like, I just want to laugh and da da da. So I think the ones that are more personable and the people that I really have learned. Yeah, it's an emotional connection. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You emotionally connect to this person because they're on stage, they're being vulnerable, they're being funny, they're making you laugh, and they're being... like they're educating me at the same time because I love to be educated and that's something I like so I really love that that's what you bring to your speeches that's super awesome yeah and that's why like you know if people want to learn about like if, if people want to learn about sort of like you know something new or a new community or whatever a lot of times they'll reach for a dramedy before they reach for like a college lecture yep yeah you know very true very true 
Glee. It's yeah. a great example of that. I'm, I'm like, the, like, I'm going to watch documentaries on it. But I know people. I know everyone else yeah. does that. I'm like the first person where I'm like, yeah, I, I need to watch the nerds Yeah. And, yes, uh, the nerds. Art always down for a good sort of like super deep, rigorous, like oh. beautiful art film about the thing. Um, myself included. But, you know, I think that it's, it's about like giving people different levels on mm-hmm. which to, to engage and float. Definitely having, um, you can reach more people, I feel like, having those different levels. Yeah. And I think, you know, overarchingly, like, if I think about the one message, because I realize I kind of didn't answer your question. Um, <laughs> You're fine. I feel I like you, you like, more than answered it, but yes. No, 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 but, like, I feel like I do have, it, like, an answer. Like, if I think about the one message that I want people to get when I walk, when they walk away from my talks, um, it's just, like, it's really just, like, I just want people to, I just kind of want to, like, get everyone together in a room, be like, okay, so we were all taught that gender is just about men and women, Right. And everyone, and I'm like, by show of hands, like, yeah. uh, how many people were taught that, right? And everyone raises their hand. But I'm like, okay, cool. We grew up, like, sort of in the same universe. Um, yeah. And, and then I'm like, okay, so you know that's wrong, right? And then everyone's like, what? <laughs> and then, like, I'm like, yeah, like, you realize that, like, if I'm a sociologist or an anthropologist and I'm a professor or whatever and I'm grading this model of gender that just breaks it down into men and women and that's it, um, you realize, like, you're going to get a D might even fail <laughs> mm-hmm. and then there everyone's like oh. and then i'm like yeah okay let's we're gonna talk and we're gonna we're, let's get into some of the minutiae of how this uh this looks but i think that's the big thing is like i want people to go away not necessarily feeling like i understand everything about gender now but but more i'm more interested in people walking in being like whoa i know nothing about gender right mm-hmm. yes and then i'm like yes exactly yeah um, and then the other thing that message that feels really important to me to communicate is like I want people to walk away from my talk too, realizing that like the future of a brilliant genderful world is not, you know, it's not like some like weird sanitized dystopian novel where everyone walks around wearing like gray unisex hoodies. Right. You know, like that's not the world we're trying to create. And it's also not some world where everyone like walks around with eggshells being scared about whether or not they're offending somebody else. Right. Like, I don't like that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the ideal world is, is a world in which like gender can feel like play because the stakes are so low. Yeah. Right. You know? Where gender can feel like chill because the stakes are not there. Because like if you mess up, because there is no messing up your gender right. anymore. Right. Like there is no quote unquote wrong way to do your gender. And and so you can just kind of like, uh, can I curse on your podcast or should I not? Yeah. I do. So. Go for it. <laughs> so you can just kind of fuck around. You know, yes. Like, I want like a gen- like a gender fuck around world. Like a world <laughs> where everyone can just be like, I don't know, I'm wearing lipstick today. I don't know what it means about me. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, like that's not how we evaluate human worth anymore. Right. Um, and I feel like the first step of that is to make people giggle and to send them away thinking, realizing, oh shit, I don't know anything. Yeah. Totally. And that's 100% what you do. Like, honestly, even just like being your presence, because like before we met, like, I was so like, you know what? Like, I don't have time to like wear makeup and do these things and blah, blah, blah. Because like being like a woman to me, like meant this like set amount of things. And I wanted to be like seen as a feminist and like respected and all these different things. And like for me, that meant like, I guess I'm not going to wear lipstick. And just seeing like how you were able to like embrace your gender and be who you were and not really care like what anyone else thought about that. I was like, you know what? Like if I like I loved to be more feminine when I was like younger And I really, like, stepped away from that, like, when I became, like, a business owner and, like, all these other things. And I kind of, like, stepped back into that after we met. 
You know what I mean? Because I was just like, no, like, like you said, like, fuck it. Like, I can do whatever I want to do. You know what I mean? Like, if I wear lipstick, that doesn't mean I'm a certain type of woman. Yeah. You or don't I'm have to have a pantsuit to become, way. you know exactly. what I mean? And that's mean? like, that's what I was really like thinking is like, I, I have to, you know, if I want someone to take me seriously, like I can't be like wearing a frilly dress or like having my Peter Pan collars or just like, you know, like being myself, basically. Oh, Peter um, Pan collars. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, so it's yes. like, I, I really feel like in a lot of ways, like you have helped me. Um, just like redefine what it means to be like a femme person and you know what that means like to me which I mean if I'm just like a regular like, I'm just like you know like a boring like cis person that just like you know whatever and it's like if that could help me that much I, I just can't even imagine you know how much you're helping people that are genderqueer or like define outside of the binary um, you know it's just amazing and then also I feel like you've just given me such great terminology that I didn't have before because I come from like a very liberal family for any of our listeners that don't know my family well my family that I'm close with like we're like a very very liberal family and like I identify as pansexual and you know I have a gay brother and you know so it's like we understand a lot of things but I didn't have a lot of good terminology to explain and, and be a good ally um, until like we met and really I got a lot of that from your essays as well like I, I really learned how to be like a better ally and I, I do think it's important um, if you if you're a person out there that you know most of the people listening to this podcast are like oh we're liberal people and we understand these things I think it's it's important to really understand especially for those of you in the wedding industry because I see a lot of people having really like cis like gendered speak in their contracts and stuff you know, and then so it'll just be like bride, yeah. her oh, name, groom, groom. stuff like that, yeah. groom, his name, name and right. stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I'm seeing some people like finally get away from that and start to make, you know, more gender neutral contracts and stuff like that. And I really want to see like more of that in the creative like and business industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I mean, a, a, I, I love um, like I love that that's sort of that that's sort of like how we feel connected. You know, like I think that's really special. Um, cause I, because so much, that's the other thing that I always kind of like, I feel like I'm saying on repeat is it's sort of like this work, the work that I'm doing is not like, like, I'm not talking about like the experiences of, or, or especially nowadays, I think I'm talking increasingly less about the experiences of like gender queer and non-binary people and more talking about like the heart of gender, mm-hmm. right? right? Like, you know, and like, I feel like non-binary and gender non-conforming people and trans people are just kind of like the canary in the coal mine, mm-hmm. yes. right? Like, like, you know, we're, we may be the litmus test for how well gender is doing for everybody. Yes. But like, yes. if there's like weird gas or whatever in the mine, you know, like everyone else is going to get sick too. And everyone else is kind of sick, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, and to me, it feels like a lot of what the, the sort of words that we are bringing into existence and the words that we're using to talk about all these things it just feels like it feels like finally getting a proper diagnosis true or it feels like starting with a therapist and learning like learning new tools to describe what you're feeling and experiencing already it's not that these things aren't already out there you know like the terms non-binary and gender queer and 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 gender fluid and all that stuff are kind of you know i think there's they're a modern telling of something that is timeless that has been that is foundational about gender you know that like it's not like these things are new it's just that the way like we're giving vocabulary to something yeah it's hurting for a long time mm-hmm. yeah 
and that vi- vocabulary definitely, I think, helps. Uh, oh, it helps a hundred fifty percent. I'm like yeah. raising a child in yeah. this world is like uh, I'm so grateful for yes. having these terms and this terminology because it helps me be more educated in the way that I want to raise her and have her live her life right now. You know, and that's like you know, we, <laughs> yesterday she was like, "I'm a boy," and I was like, "Okay, today you're a boy. Who cares? I don't. Like, that's a big deal. Like yeah. you're." you're Three. Oh, so cute. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, totally. She was like, no, like right now she's a boy. So that's awesome. So well, and that's what I think. Like, <laughs> right now, a lot yeah. of cisgender so just... people don't understand yet is that you know when when we can figure gender out and and like you kind of said, like when when it can be a situation where someone can say whatever, I'm going to wear lipstick today, and that's not going to change like everything in the yeah. world. Nobody's like, going to die if for someone that everyone. looks like yeah. a man puts on lipstick. You guys, like nothing yeah. bad will happen. I promise. I yeah. promise. <laughs> like you will yeah. be fine. The socks aren't going to fall. Like the stock exchange like, not going to you know, collapse. Not having such uh, tight restrictions on what it means to be a man or a woman or a femme person or, yeah. you know, wh- like whatever, you know, the, whatever someone identifies with doesn't mean that they have to, you know, 100% be one particular way. And that's one of the things I love about you as well, Jacob, is that, you know, like some days you'll be like on the train in New York and, you know, you'll have like your hat on backwards and you'll just be like, you know, whatever, like I'm not putting on makeup today. Like, cause I don't want to. I'm a little girl. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I don't have to do, like, I don't have to come with a full face every day and heels. If I don't feel like it, I can do whatever I want to do on any day. And I love that. But yeah, I also like love that you keep heels in your purse. Too. I love that you keep heels in your purse. I love that too. <laughs> well, when I'm in New York, when I'm in Los Angeles, I can just keep them in my car. Oh, look, upgrade. Look. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. So last year you created, produced, and hosted an original series on NBC News called Queer 2.0. So for those of us normal plebs who have no idea what that life is like, because we don't know, please talk to us about how that was that project happened from conception to completion. Well, speaking of carrying a bunch of clothes around, um, that is a that is a was definitely one of the things I because I. I so, so Queer 2.0, it, it came into existence because NBC um, News was launching a new digital platform called NBC Out. Um, mm. uh, and it, was, it started as kind of a pride month, like for in the month of June, pop up, like a sort of like, oh, we're going to have this like special platform just, just for pride month. Um, and then it kind of stuck around. And one of my friends was hired to, to sort of be editor-in-chief um, for it and to run the, to run the platform. And um, she reached out to me just sort of saying, hey, we're looking for contributors. Like, let me know if you want to contribute anything. Um, just kind of on like a blanket email that she'd been sending to a lot of people. And I just wrote back being like, hey, I've kind of been wanting to do like a web series. Um, are y'all going to be doing any video stuff? And she was like, huh, I don't know. Let me go talk to people. So she had some chats and then I had some chats. And then she was like, yeah, I think we could maybe do like some sort of um, some sort of video component. And I was like, yeah, we can make them sort of like video op-eds where I just kind of like talk about whatever I'm gonna, what I might have written about, but in a video format, so it's a little more accessible and a little bit more hip with the times. Um, and and she was like, sure, that sounds good. Um, and then like the next thing I knew, I was like uh, going to Thirty Rock and filming with like the NBC News digital team. Um, and it was like, you know, the first time we did it was super scrappy. Um, we literally just like booked, we didn't even book a proper room with a door. Mm-hmm. It's like a corner that no one really knew that much. Um, like on, like, and it was actually right around the corner from, um, oh my God, from Lester Holt's office. Oh, yes. wow. So, like, 
like, I'm filming my first web series, like, and I'm sitting in this chair trying to focus on the, and it was my first time really using a teleprompter. I yeah. did it, like, a little bit, but never for real, and I was pretending as if I, I told everyone I had already, but just, <laughs> I was, like, learning as I went. Um, and I'm just sitting there reading a prompter for the first time and, like, trying to do this whole thing, and then, like, you know, there's this moment where, like, I think it's, like, the first time we were filming, like, Lester walked by, like, two or three times, and then, like, kept, kept like, trying to walk by back to his office, then like would be like oh they're filming oh no and then would like circle the long way back around oh, and then you'll see him like 10 minutes later pop up on the other side <laughs> and, then and, then feel bad. and then like meanwhile i'm saying stuff like i'm saying stuff like uh like you know like uh like why can't we talk about our genitals you know like <laughs> yeah that was your first um, episode i remember it it was yes, like, like across the newsroom floor and like every so, you know i have to be loud because I, I have to like project because they have to record it right you know um, like, I can't, like, sit there and quietly narrate my bouncy little web series. You know, I have to give my vocal performance. Um, so it was just, like, it was such a silly little operation. And then, like, and then I, you know, the, like, my, my dressing room was, like, there's, like, one unisex bathroom that happens to be, like, next to, like, like also next to Lester's office. So I just, like, run in there, change my outfit. We'd record another, vi- like, change my makeup a little, we'd record another video. And then, like, you know, it was, it was, like, such a scrappy kind of running gun, fabulous little thing. Um, and, and, you know, we, we ended up doing like 16 episodes of the show. Wow. Um, and you know, it was, it, and the reason we sort of stopped doing it is because I moved to New York, I yeah. moved to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a really fun little go and it was, it was the first time that I had had the opportunity to, um, to write and produce, uh, you know, my, my, something of my own that was going to be distributed by a major outlet like NBC news. Um, and you know, there was some fun, like, you know, there was some fun stuff. We got some fun, um, some fun little moments from haters that were really interesting um where like you know uh like what i think we got written up on um on breitbart oh um, you've like, made it like shit like shitty conservative <laughs> outlet or whatever yeah we did a whole video about like i did a whole video about like yeah how how guessing a child's gender when they're born is kind of like a game show like like you know you do like the doctor sort of just makes an educated guess right on a quote-unquote educated guess like based on the baby's genitals like what they think the child might be but how you like don't really know and you may not get it right when you like put it down on the birth certificate um and 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 you know like they're super right with people like hated that um and i had a cute little like doctor outfit that i wore oh my word um, all my life i want that and i'm gonna look at this right now <laughs> it was so fun um yeah i think you know there was there was like it was it was also interesting because nbc news doesn't usually do like hosted type stuff yeah you know? so it was like kind of a new adventure for them too um, but yeah, I mean, my mem- some of my main memories of that is like just you know because I had to provide my own wardrobe, um, so just like hauling three looks or two looks, you know, on the subway in the heat of July, mm-hmm. like on my way to Thirty Rock, and like getting there and being like, okay, baby, you like look so good. I don't, funny. I don't even understand because you looked like I watched all the videos and you look amazing. So I don't. You would have thought I had like a makeup artist and like a stylist. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! Everything <laughs> in my life is more scrappy than it looks. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of your move and just like amazing projects, you recently moved from New York City to LA to work on Transparent, which is just honestly so amazing. I still like every time I think about it, I'm just like I have to like squeal. You get like the warm it's just, giggles. On yeah, the it's amazing. <laughs> so, what has that experience been like, and what has it been like to make like such a big like move for your career in terms of just it's a big move, and then obviously totally it's actually coastal. physically a big <laughs> coastal move from coast to coast. Yeah, I mean, like jumping. It was it was like it, it happened like so 
was so last minute. It was like it made my head spin a little bit because um, it was like, yeah, I, I what I this last season I did sort of two jobs. Um, I worked as a social media producer and so I like, did a lot of behind the scenes stuff with the cast and was kind of in charge of like capturing all the behind the scenes stuff that Amazon could then use later to promote the show um, and like curating that stuff with Snapchat team and curating stuff with the Instagram team, like you know that kind of thing. Um, and then I also was the director's assistant for our producing director. Um, who is a who is a new director that was brought on for season four? Um, Allison Liddy Brown, who she came from like Shondaland, um, uh, and she's oh my gosh, she's the best. That's a magical place. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like she like directed like Grey's Anatomy. That's like Scandal, Disneyland for like, black girls. Look. It's literally like <laughs> like Shondaland. I, I, I was like, it was like, yeah, it was like a moment. Um, and you know, she's just like a veteran, like a total veteran in the TV industry. Anyway, like she's been directing for like twenty something years. Like she directed an episode of Xena Warrior Princess. Wow, Lo- you know, like love of my life. She's really great. <laughs> um, so I so I was working as her assistant. Um, you know, doing the whole like doing the whole like oh like you know gotta go get the coffee okay and then gotta go put in the lunch order and gotta run around the lot <laughs> like get a bunch of logistical things you know doing that right. kind of stuff. Um, but then also you know like was was able to just kind of like be around on set so much. Um, and, and just the experience of like physically like being behind the monitors as we're shooting everything, you know, and like being able to sit there, you know, with, with like Jill Soloway and Jeffrey Tambor and Gabby Hoffman and Amy Landecker and like, you know, and Judith Light, oh my God, Judith Light, like just being able to like be around everybody and watch the process unfurl, um, was, it was like, it was like this whole other level of poetry, you know, it was just so like watching people who are truly masterful at what they do, you know, do it, um, was, was incredible, especially at this point in transparency, you know, sort of, um, history because it's, you know, the show's really gelled by now, you know, right. the cast and the crew, like people know each other so well, mm-hmm. um, and have such deep relationships that, that, that it's, it's such a seamless, you know, it, it's such a seamless process, even when on days when it's hectic, it's still like watching everybody like go, you know, and, and do the thing. Um, was just really beautiful. Um, so, you know, but, but the chaos of the move was a little crazy because I was working a full-time job. Like, I was working a good full-time job at this organization called the Australia Lesbian Foundation for Justice, which is this, like, badass intersectional feminist um, international queer foundation. Um, and, was and, and like, literally had, had sort of... I'd come, I went out to Los Angeles to meet with the writer's room um, because they, they were going to be talking a little bit more about, like, non-binary and gender-queer stuff in season four. Um, and one of the characters has sort of a journey around that. And so I had gone out to Los Angeles in September to meet with the writer's room of last year. Um, and I really liked everybody. And it was kind of like, I wonder what it would be like to potentially work on this show. And so just sort of told my one of my friends who's a producer, my friend Zachary, I was like, hey, just like let me know if anything comes up. And super last minute, they made the decision to hire my boss. And then they were like, oh, she's going to be an assistant. And then they were like, does anyone want to call? And then like my resume fell into her lap. And so I get literally get a voicemail. It was like the, it was like the the quickest job interview of my life, where I get a, I get a voicemail from Allison being like, "Hey, um, so I'm gonna be new on Transparent this season, and you know would love to potentially like you know you came really highly recommended from a bunch of people. Um, let's talk about what you know what it would be like for you to be my assistant." Um, and then I get so I get this voicemail like being like, "Hey, here's a job offer on a TV show in Los Angeles. Like, are you gonna do it? You know?" And I and I had to just sort of sort of like decide within like two days, and it was just like, "Okay, like." just jumping off this cliff um, <laughs> and then like went home for like the holidays with my family because I had like a week and a half of you know time booked anyway and then like came back to New York packed up all my stuff and wrapped up my job in like a week um and then 
drove like and then was driving drove cross country in order to start let's see i accepted the job on december 23rd i started my first day of work in los angeles um after driving cross country on january 16th wow. so it was like a lot it was like so fast um that like my head was kind of spinning for a little bit it took me a while to get my bearings but i'm really glad i did it because it was one of those things where it's like some, sometimes you just have to cut your teeth you know right and it was a little hard for me because at first i was like oh my gosh like i'm gonna go be an assistant like aren't i like a fancy media person now like i'm in the out 100 and i just shot for like a big story in time magazine like shouldn't i what um and then i was like no like you don't know anything about this industry like you don't know how the day-to-day works like everything's gonna be new for you like this is you of course you should do this you know and like and you should do it with humility and with grace because that's because that's what like that's how you're gonna learn yeah you gotta cut your teeth it's not about paying your dues it's about cutting your teeth true i hate the idea of paying your dues Mm -hmm. i think paying your dues just reinforces like this abusive patriarchal culture yeah same stupid phrase and i never use it um but I think cutting your teeth is a, which is, feels like a weird, it's like a weird phrase, but I think the idea of like, right, like of getting seasoned, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of like mm-hmm. being around and osmosing and learning and not taking for granted how important it can be to just be around um, uh, in order to like learn all those things. Cause you do a lot of passive learning. Right. Even when yeah. you're assistant, you know, it's like, cause you're around everything, right? Like, so like, you know, between like grabbing coffees and printing scripts and whatever, like, you're watching and your and your brain is just synthesizing like all this stuff that you don't even necessarily realize you're learning. Um, and by the end of it, you're kind of like presto. Oh my God. I feel like I understand how all these pieces come together a little bit. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience and I'm really glad I moved out to LA. And, and, and the thing I love about LA, um, at least for now is that, you know, like I feel like New York, like I, it just sort of, it's like, pumps up my anxiety in a way mm-hmm. that like I don't need any more anxiety like I'm already kind of like a relatively anxious person <laughs> same um, and LA just like brings me down to like a normal human level yeah like the California chill is really good for me and and it's really good for me as a writer I think like you know I I was never able when I was in New York to freelance and feel okay about it um because New York is a very full-time culture like mm-hmm. it's just like everyone in New York works full-time you know yeah. like everyone in New York is like um is like in like a career, you know, right. I mean? like a career job where there's a track and they have a big office and there's benefits and all that other stuff. Whereas in Los Angeles, there are a ton of creatives, a lot of brilliant people who are kind of like doing other stuff, like doing three hustles um, while trying to figure out how to make the pieces come together. Yeah. And that art is really appreciated out here in a way that in New York it's still appreciated, but it, it's, um, I think it's, it, it, it feels you feel a little bit more like an outsider in New York when you're freelancing than I do yeah. in LA. New York is something else. Yeah, man. I definitely um, just watched this solo, uh, did a small short documentary on freelancers in New York City, and a lot of the same comments that you said were true. Like people feel kind of like it's a creative energy and it's great and it's hype, but you do feel like you're the only one because there's nobody else yeah. out here doing three or four different things trying to make it happen and, and really pursue their passions at the same time because you have so many as a creative I don't know about you but for me I have so many passions so many things yeah. and we talk about that all yeah. the time on this show that we want to explore those things and so having the ability to do that and not feel like a weirdo because you don't have your you know nine to five or whatever the case may be is really important to have an environment that f- helps flourish that and it sounds like Los Angeles is that for you yeah and I think it's also like I feel like in New York if you're freelancing people are kind of like if you meet someone in a bar and they're like so what do you do and you're like oh, I'm freelance writing and doing whatever then they kind of look at you and they're like do you have a trust fund and like, <laughs> right and but you like, know no. what you like, like that's the nail on the head though okay yeah, yeah. And you're like 
you know, it's like, they're like, are you okay? Like, I'm eating. It's fine. I actually know a lot of people that live there. In New York is often like, no, I'm not okay. Well, it's so funny, though, because, like, I know people that live in New York that are freelancers that do have trust funds. You know, like, that's definitely a thing. Um, So it's funny that you say that because that's, that's very true. Or have, like unique relationships with like people that have lots of money that like pay all their bills and then they can freelance stuff like like you find like a lot of like interesting situations like that in new york where you're just like okay uh, all right interesting yeah Um, i'm hoping to one day find like a daddy and or a patron who can (laughs) (laughs) i'm like still trying to find that and i have a child (laughs) yeah i might just be a cougar tbh oh my goodness yes but Could you bankroll my life? Why don't you just sit around and make beautiful things for me? I'll be like, okay. For real. That's the the truth. Um. So um, you announced this year that you're going to be releasing your first book. And is it still going to be called Sissy? Yeah, that title really stuck. Okay. You know, I, it was sort of a working I didn't know title, if it was, yeah, was I didn't like, know if it was oh, working, shit. if that was, like, we information that I it, wasn't so supposed to Okay, good, awesome. Yeah, because I was like, is this information I'm supposed to have? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a memoir titled Sissy. Uh, I love the title already because I just feel like it says a lot. Like, it's it's just going to stand out already just from there. Like, when people see it in the bookstore, it's going to be, you know, they're going to know, like, okay, this is something I'm intrigued by. Uh, so what has the writing process been like? Because we've talked a little bit about, like, you know, how it's been easier for you to write in LA. So I kind of want to know, like, what's the writing process been like? And what was the process like for getting your book published? Because I feel like that's not something that's talked about a ton. Um, can y'all hear those sirens in the background? Yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna wait until they're gone. And I'll keep talking. You're totally fine. It's I'm like, I, like New York. I, I thought it was here, honestly, because we, we were across the street from a hospital. So I thought that they yeah. were coming into, like, your... Um, a Christmas place, but no, that didn't happen. So, <laughs> all right, go ahead. So, okay. what was the writing process um, for your new book published? Well, so I mean, you know, I, it's funny because it's like you know, my book isn't published yet. Like, I have a deal, but it's like you know, the book won't be published for probably another year because um, I'm still finishing it. And also, you know, like book publishing, there's it's like once you get your manuscripts done, then there's like a there's like a nine to ten for big releases. There's like a nine to ten month hype process, mm-hmm. you know, where you have to like get everybody in the industry psyched about it um you know get all the magazine editors wanting to feature you you know get all you know it's like this huge outreach pr right like kind of giant uh you know publicity kind of thing about just trying to sort of get people in advance of the book coming out to like to like really you know be into it and want to feature it and want to get people to like talk about it and all that kind of stuff so you know um, right now, I'm not. I'm not even in that planning phase yet. I'm still in the phase where I'm finishing out my manuscripts. And I think, um, you know, the the process for selling the book was really. Um, I mean, you know, I had a I had a literary agent, and uh, and that was like a big learning experience for me because I realized that you know I I'm just so much better when I have a partner to report to. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think because I'd been thinking about writing a book for a long time, and I had been sort of like making I, I tried a few times actually and I tried to get lit agents like a year before I ended up signing with one um and had been sort of outlining a book potentially for like for gosh like two years like when I moved to New York that was like what I wanted to do I was like I'm moving here to write my book I'm gonna write my big book that's the big thing um and you know and I think that what was really 
cool was that you know when I when I did finally settle on a literary agent and like signed with somebody, then all of a sudden it didn't feel like work for me because I had like I had somebody to hold me accountable to like making some deadlines. You know, I had somebody who at the end of all of this work would be like really happy that I had done it and would be able to ensure that it wasn't squandered or that, and that it was used properly. You know, mm-hmm. so like, and I think that that was a big lesson for me was like around 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 creating accountability for myself for projects that I want to complete, like not trying to do anything alone, um, or at least without someone who sort of wants to see what you finish, you know, without someone who, who, who is going to be there to kind of like, to, to celebrate with you when it's done. And also to like help provide feedback and help you feel like you're actually being heard, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, the actual process of writing the book proposal was just this kind of, you know, I was working full time on the show. Um, you know, I was working like 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 sixty to eighty hour weeks, depending on how you know, depending on how intense production was that week. Um, and and just kind of like you know, spent all my weekends and and any early mornings I could muster when I had a later call time. Um, you know, I just would like get up and write, and I just you know, it was it was one of those things where. You know, earlier we were talking about like, oh, like how how do people write books? They're so long. It's crazy. It's weird. Um, and you know, for me, it was. I think I learned. It, it was. It's kind of about the psychology of the thing. You know, it's kind of like I feel like writing a book is is sort of it's a similar psychology to running a marathon. You know, it's like real marathoners. If you ask like, well, how do you do it? They're just kind of like, well, you train and then you just kind of do. Yeah. You know, and, and they're like, but how do you get, like, when you, like, how do you, how can you possibly, like, just take on that many miles and put your feet in front of each other for that long? And it's just kind of like, well, you just kind of do. You just don't think too much about it and you just sort of do it. You know, and I think that that's the real lesson I've learned so far is that, you know, the, the like, I, while I'm writing, you know, I'm not thinking to myself, oh, is this going to be is this going to be successful? Oh, will people like this? Oh, um, you know, is this good enough? I'm thinking to myself, oh, does this feel right? And am I energized while I'm doing it? You know? And I don't think about, oh, I have this X many words to go, or I don't think about like, oh, I'm, you know, only this many chapters in, you know, I try to like put all those sort of like milestones or markers out of my head so that I can just focus on actually telling the story. You know, it's about get a lot of it's it's less about kind of like getting stuff into your head and more about getting stuff out of your head so that the actual like word and story can just flow. Yeah, I love that. I love that it, you said what you just said was like so perfect. It's more about getting stuff out of your head. And that right. is definitely the challenge right there. True. <laughs> and also I love that you're like, you don't think about like, oh, like, you know, I have this many chapters left. Or I've only done this many because that's literally what i do i was gonna say i do that with nanorimo every year because it's such a like you know you write these 100,000 words and i'm always every year i'm like i have 90,000 more words to go i've been working on my book since march and it is like a very slow process and i don't check in with anybody so maybe that is something that i need to start during nanorimo yeah yeah I think that that'd be helpful. They have write-ins right here at Starbucks during NaNoWriMo, so you need to do that. Do they? Okay, yeah. I will do that. Yeah, because I really, like, I wanted to get it done by the end of this year. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not going to rush it. But I'd right, like to yeah. have it, like, done by next March. Like, I think giving it a solid year is, like, good, you know? Yeah. It's funny, too. Like, I feel like I'm in this place right now where I know that I've written my introduction, 
uh, I have like my introduction, I have like the little like prologue, which is like a silly little essay, and then I have my first six chapters done, which are like parts one and two of the book. But I have no idea what the cumulative word count is on those. Right. Hmm. Because I'm just like I'm just not I just haven't yeah. I just haven't like it's one of the easiest things I could do is to like you know like I remember when I was in high school or in college I I learned the trick of like of like making my window small enough or like my word my Microsoft Word window small enough so that you couldn't see the page numbers yeah mm. or the word count mm-hmm. you know mm. um, like at the bottom yeah yeah you know, if you made it narrow enough like you couldn't see those things and and like you know that's kind of like mentally what I do when I'm working on my manuscript is like the one thing I can stop myself from doing is like do is like highlighting the whole thing and checking the word count right you know because I'm like that isn't what it matters right now what matters is like telling the story in the best way that you can and then you know that's why you have an editor is because my editor and I will go through and if I end up landing at 130,000 words or too many or whatever then like we'll trim we'll trim it down you know like we'll 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 consolidate it we'll make it more concise um but it's but it's just kind of like if i spend all this time looking at those numbers then i'm not thinking about oh like what is the next most important thing that i need to say in the story yeah so you've created like a lot of opportunities like for yourself which i feel like you know in today's world is kind of how a lot of people unless you are born with you know parents in the entertainment industry um it's kind of important to create those opportunities for yourself so what advice do you have for those who are kind of looking to do that well i think um i think the one thing i'm learning and i'm still learning this to the age um is is to ask about and for what you want yeah and i know that that sounds super simple and reductive and maybe i'm like the only one with this issue but i I highly doubt it like you know for me it was like for a long time i i I dreamed of like yeah i want to create my tv show one day like where i'm like you know the creator like the star and the creator of it all that stuff like i want to do that um and uh but it was like, it felt like such a far off dream. I felt stupid saying anything to anybody about wanting to do that. You know, like I felt dumb. Like I feel like I hadn't earned the ability to say that, that I wanted that, you know? Um, and that kind of internal self-defeating dialogue, like is the easiest thing to get out of the way of you and what you want, you know? Like the first step always of getting something that you want is saying to others that you want it. Yeah. Because if you say to others that you want it, then they at least are on, you know, they may still say no, but they'll be on notice that you do. And maybe five years from now, they'll still, they'll think about you again and be like, oh, wait, you know, like, I think learning to really claim what I wanted, even if it felt not that possible yet or felt far away in the moment, um, was such an important part of, of my journey and of creating my own opportunities, right? Because it, it gives me the ability to say, and, and not just saying what you want to like your friends and saying what you want to the people who can actually give it to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, um, like, and not being afraid that you're going to make them feel uncomfortable or feel awkward or whatever. There's a way to talk about knowing what you want and acknowledging, um, you know, that you're still working to get it. Like there's a way to do that with humility and with grace. Um, and, and I also think if you have to toe the line between people thinking that you're a little hot headed and people not knowing where you want, like what you want or where you're headed, like, I think it's better for people to know what you want, you know? Yeah. Like, cause also someone who's going to, who, if you say, well, my dream and my goal ultimately is to create my own TV show and star in it. 
you know, if you, if the people in your life who, like, if you talk to someone and you say that that's your ultimate goal, right? Like, you're not saying I'm going to do that right now. You're not saying that's where, what I need, that's what you need to give me at this very moment. You're saying my ultimate goal is to do that. If people think, like, the kind of people who, who hear you say that and say, oh, well, that's naive and dumb and you're stupid for wanting that, like, those people you don't need to, A, you're not going to get their support to begin with, and B, like, you don't need them. Yeah. Yeah. Shows you who to weed out. Yeah. Yep. True. You know, I mean, if there's someone, there's a there's a difference between like that and someone saying, okay, well, like that's really brilliant, and I'm really excited about that, but also let's think more practically about how you're gonna pay your bills this month. Yes. That's that's a that's a, that's a different kind. Of yeah. Impact. That's a friend. <laughs> yeah, but people who who are scared by how by how grand your vision is, or who resent you for having a grand vision, like you gotta cut those people out of your life ASAP. You know. True. And I think that. I think that it's really important to that that kind of honesty, especially in a culture that I think kind of sh- I think often um, shames artists for having dreams and, and, and goals. Um, I think it's just that that to me felt like the first step, and that's like a, and it's a recurring step because as your dreams grow bigger, you have to learn to still own them and, and share them with people. Um, and and because ultimately, what happens is that there will be someone who one day says that's not ridiculous that actually sounds doable what are you thinking about for that and then you'll be like oh shit you know like and that that moment happened to me pretty recently like in terms of you know i sold the book and then all of a sudden i'm halfway through writing it and i and i have a, a, a you know a, a team of agents at like a top five talent agency telling me oh well like can you start working on a document that sort of would outline what the film adaptation of the book would look like or like what the tv so adaptation exciting. Of the book um, because we want to know what you think and we want to start chopping you around the producers, you know, and you're kind of like, wait, I'm not even done with this. But yeah. it's like, but finally people say, you know, when you say this is what I want, people say, oh yeah, like, well, let's show us what, show us what that would look like. Yeah. And then you yeah. Go, oh my God, this just went from like a silly dream to a proposal. Yeah. I think, um, creatives or people in general, we're kind of taught not to ask for things. We're kind of taught to be mm-hmm. humble and, and be quiet and kind of sit in the corner and it's not how you move yeah, ahead. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I think, you know, owning, like you said, especially as your dreams grow bigger, I think that's one of the things that where I am right now is that I feel like sometimes I'm at a place because people or my peers aren't at the same place where I am in my business where I shouldn't ask for things because I want other people to have things. But there's room enough for everyone. And so I should take that opportunity and ask people for things because I wouldn't I won't move past this stage if I just stay where I am you know I can't do that thing where I'm like oh well my friend's not where you know they don't have an agency and I want them to be there and da, da, da. so I really love that you said that um it resonated with me well it's also one of the things where it's like you know if there's one lesson that we can learn from white boys or whatever it's that there's plenty <laughs> of room oh my god right look white look. boys are just not afraid to ask for like straight no white boys just ask I, whatever they want all the time and honestly like you like Jacob, like, you know John, and so it's, like, being married to John is, like, just so eye-opening, like, as, like, a black woman, because it's just, like, I see him just, like, like you said, like, he just asks for whatever he wants, and, and it's he just, just gets it. and it's things that sometimes <laughs> I'm just, like, you don't even deserve that, and then he's just, like, so unashamed, and just, like, no, yeah, like, I think that's what it is, unashamed like, is the word, and part of me gets frustrated, but then another part of me is, like, okay, like, if then I, you like, need to embody that. learn from, yeah. it's, like, I want to be in the room, I want to be in the room where, like, all the, like, you know, straight cis, like, white guys are there, like, running shit, like, I want to be in that room, and it's, like, so how do I get there, like, I just have to, like, walk in and act like I own the place, because that's what they do you know yeah and it's also I, I can't remember who this quote is from I had that in my office for a number of years but it was like 
it was like, um, you know, the thing I admire most about straight white men is that they will be uh, 50% qualified for the job and assert with 100% confidence that they can do it. And 50% of the time, they're right. <laughs> True. Love. <laughs> Love it. So besides your memoir and transparent and world, like, and global domination and just doing all the things, what other projects do you have coming up for us that you can share? Because I know you probably can't share all of them. And I kind of just want to know, like, what is it that you want out of the future? Well, I mean, like, you know, right now the, the goal is to ultimately figure out, you know, a, a TV adaptation of the book. I think that's like the big, that's like sort of the big other thing that's kind of in the, on the horizon. Um, I'm trying to audition my little face off um, and maybe book a guest star on a cool TV show or something in, in the near future. That would be great. Um, and then also my, my, um, my roommate slash friend from back in New York, um, we... Uh, produced a web series. We shot a web series together, like, gosh, it was like a year ago now. Um, and then, you know, like many projects that are that don't have a real budget do, um, you know, it got held up in post-production because we had, like, two different editors over the course of, like, many months. And also, like, you know, we he started grad school and I got a new job and I moved. And, you know, there was a bunch of life transitions. But we had a bunch, you know, a few editors sort of, like, drop out who ended up not, not doing the project and then he sort of hunkered down over the past few months and just like did it so we're going to be like we're in the we're getting close to um releasing that series um it's called blank slates it's about two performance artists who are trying to save the world or maybe just get attention um and uh it's like i feel like it's super funny so hopefully that'll be coming out relatively soon um and i think that you know in terms of irons on the fire that's kind of the that's kind of the main the main the main situation that sounds um, super cool though it feels sometimes like my, with the book deal it's like you know you, you get the book deal and it's like it feels like a, a great thing but it also it's a it's a big old egg that takes a long time to hatch so you know a lot of it is just about being patient and realizing like you know i have that like that like this will come into fruition and and um and that like there is a timetable on it and it may feel annoying to wait but it's worth it yeah it definitely is it's going to be yeah. so worth it. I'm just, I'm really ready for the day that, like, your show is on every Wednesdays and, like, I host, like, a viewing party and, like, you know, have all my friends come over. It's going to be amazing. I need to, like, figure out what my staple drink will be. Yes, please do. Oh, yes. you need to do, um like, a cocktail for the book. So when you, book clubs can make the cocktail, because I was in a club that was Books and Bubbly by my friend Shelly. Shout out to her. She's NYC Tours. I'm going to do that. Uh, she just got her tour sightseeing business up in New York. Uh, so we she, we did Books and Bubbly. So we had, like, a book club where we would drink and make cocktails based on the books. So if yeah, you come up with a signature like cocktail, a cocktail for your, for your book. book, I'd be totally yeah. in it. Or maybe I, I really want like a Ben and Jerry's flavor for being. Oh, yeah. And that's fine too. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I also like, you know, if I think about like in, in my life, of in my sort of scandal life, like <laughs> I'm not, um, like my Olivia Poping is yeah. sitting on the couch with eating ice, ice cream. cream. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh my gosh. Actually, sitting on the couch with like a gorgeous, beautiful goblet of half a bottle of wine and my flavor of choice is actually jim and F- jimmy fallon's ice cream because i don't know about his show sometimes but his ice cream is damn delicious <laughs> i will tell you like his ice cream is damn delicious like i'm like i don't know about him like i want like i want my favorite to be like stephen colbert's but it's it's jimmy fallon's like it's just what it is like that it's just a good <laughs> ice cream like i don't i don't know if he's responsible for it or what happened here but if so he's actually really good at, at choosing ice cream <laughs> yeah i know i know different talents 
Yeah, it's it's very odd. I'm well, honest. Jacob, I just want to thank you for being thank a friend you. and inspiration. Thank you for talking up to us today. Thank you for being so good to my family. I'm proud of you. I love you. Um, and I'm just really excited to. I, I like I can't wait to like just watch your star rise. It, like if, if there's anybody that really, um, you know, that I know that's in the industry that actually, you know, deserves everything that's happened to them, it's really you because you're just as genuine as people are like listening on this podcast. Like this is literally how you are in real life. So. I yeah I love it and I appreciate that. Well, that makes me squirm a little bit, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Thank you, love. Thank you.